Area 941 podcast are produced and distributed by Community Powered 94.1 KPFA Radio. Please help support Area 941 at kpfa.org. You're listening to Arabiyet with Linda and Soraya. I'm Linda. And I'm Soraya. If you've come of age in the last decade or so, you've probably listened to some form of hip-hop music. If you're an Arab, you've probably connected with the few Arab hip-hop artists who sing about the same social justice issues that you're constantly experiencing. If you're one of those, Eccentric is surely a name that you're familiar with. If not, you should be. In studio with us today is Tariq Ghazale, also known as Eccentric. He's a hip-hop artist, oud player, producer, activist, and more. His most recent album is Now Here, Nowhere. Welcome, Tariq. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. So I know I read that you in one of your the articles that was published about you that um, you had trouble when you were a kid and kind of like your angst as an artist probably started during that time being Palestinian yeah. coming of age in America. Why don't you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, I, I was a punk, you know, I was like I was reacting to years of being picked on and, you know, being made fun of for my name or being made fun of for you know, the color of my skin or what have you, you know, I mean, I was never either, I was either not dark enough or I was not light enough or I was not something enough, you know what I'm saying? And you were in a community with like black and white. It, it depended, it okay. all depended like where I was at the time, like when it was in California, it was super diverse. So it was just, nobody knew what a Palestinian was, you know, or they'd just be like, they don't really care what a Palestinian is. I just, I was just some Muslim terrorist and I'm not even Muslim, which is hilarious, but yeah, so Emma was called Saddam Hussein during the first Iraq war. And <laughs> wow. Todd Dick. Yeah, that was another one. I used Todd to Dick? Todd Dick. Retardic. You know. Terroric. Wow. Yeah, I, I got, got Linda Cahorny. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't grow up here, thank God. Yeah, yeah, I didn't get is... anything. Wait, where is that accent from? My accent? Yeah. It's from Beirut. Oh, you're, oh so you're Bayruti. Okay. Yeah. I I, okay. Anyway. Um, yeah, so that's, that's basically, yeah, th- that, I was pissed. I was angry. Um, and... Uh, music was a great channel for me. In the beginning, I just played the guitar, and I just wanted to play guitar, and that's all I wanted to do. But then, like when I expanded my horizons, uh, a lot of kids started rapping at school, and like we had this crew of friends, and we were all just into hip hop. And then I was the beat maker, and then one day I just started battling some kids, and then it just became that. You know what I mean? It, well, how was, did you how did you get into beat making to begin with? I don't know. I don't really remember. It was just I I, I went to a music store, and it was in Detroit. And uh, I was like looking around. I was actually checking out guitars, and then I, I saw this thing, and I was like, "What is this?" Like it was just this, and it turned out to be an ASR. I don't know if anybody who's listening would probably know what a, if they're into production or hip hop or whatever, they'd know what an ASR is. Then I saw it. I, I thought it was like the most cool thing. I was like, "Hey, dude, what does this do?" He's like, "Oh, it's a, it's a beat machine and it's a production tool, so you can basically do whatever you want with it." So I was like, "So I, if I got a guitar, I could just basically make my own songs without having a band or what?" He's like, "Exactly." And I was like, "I want that. How much is it?" He's like, "Oh, it's." I think it was like seventeen hundred. I was like, oh, <laughs> I was like, I'm thinking it's gonna be like two hundred bucks. So I went back to the drawing board and just saved up hella money and um, worked my butt off and uh, and find, and then my dad hooked me up with a little extra and I picked it up and that's when I started like I mean in quotes making beats you know because I was making my own stuff and then it just you know I was at that time I think I was really influenced by um, 
by uh, by Domino from Hyro and by uh, RZA from the Wu Tang. So a lot of my early stuff, you could actually hear that influence. And then you know, I tailed off of it. Obviously, and went my own direction, but that was the beginning. So your dad paid for you to start learning how to do beats, right? So like, to, I mean, you know, he paid for that, helped you pay for that. Did he continue to support your career as you went forward? Yeah, he, I, he cautiously um, warned me that it's going to be a hard life if I chose music. Uh, he always wanted me to go to, you know, I mean, I, would, I did go to school for a while. Uh, he always wanted me to go to college. Uh, my mom was very supportive, too. I mean, it's, we come from a musical family, you know. Oh, you do? We do. Everybody in our family is musical or artistic. Like, all of our aunties are either singers or artists or writers or poets. On my mom's side, they're all singers. My teta's a singer. or That means grandmother for all you non-Arabs. Uh, you know, my grandmother's a singer. My grandfather uh, on my mom's side, when he was in Palestine, he was like an actor and a comedian and a boxer as well. And my seat on my dad's side was a musician and a singer, played the kanun and the nigya and all that stuff. So... Mm. I don't, we just come from it. So it was kind of like they accepted it, you know? Right. Well, it's funny because, you know, I know from my family, my mom is like, if she wanted to go into the arts, they'll be like, what, you want to be an artiste? Yeah. Which is low-key slang for whore. Yeah. You know, totally. so anything if you want to be in the arts is like associated. Back then, you know, our parents' generation in the Arab world was associated with something seedy and sort of drugs and sex and all of that stuff that is, you know, frowned upon over there. Well, they're right, because it is. It's called freedom and liberation. That's why it's so, like, tabooed for, like, you know, Um Kathum went through it. Like, her, her father was, like, in, he was horrified that his daughter was, like, singing at, at, like, the radio shows. He's like, oh, my God, she's becoming a, you know what? And it's, like, so sad, you know? But they're right. You know what? What we are, we're liberated individuals. You know what I mean? We're, we're actually bringing ideas to the forefront. We're bringing, like, people's souls out of their bodies and, like, spitting them out on the floor and then sucking them back into you. It's like, that's what we're here for. You know what I mean? So you had a positive reaction from your family. Kind what of. about... Kind yeah, of. Okay. Yeah. So what kind of struggles did you go through in trying to actually... Because for you to actually be in the last two decades kind of producing music and making that your main... That's your career path. And mm. a lot of... Arabs mm-hmm. don't make their career path purely because they're scared to do it. I mean, they yeah, don't even have chicken. the idea. It's not even, yeah. I mean, they're not even allowed to generally even support, they don't even um, feed ideas like about this. They're not mm-hmm. even given those kinds of tools to maybe actually pursue it um, because it lo- it's looked down upon so much, I'm sorry, in our communities, like yeah, as, a, totally. as a professional yeah. career path. Well, you're right. It's fear. It's it's our typical Arab cultural fear of anything out of the ordinary or anything that might be perceived as bad for the family or bad for – I think uh, uh, nowadays, I think especially back home, things are changing. Like the Arab Spring, I think, in the beginning started changing ideas around art because a lot of like random artists started popping up. YouTube has really changed like uh, the, the vision or the view of art in the Arab world. But see, the problem with us out of here – um, and I'm speaking mostly to just my Palestinian community because that's most most of the people that I know. We're stuck in 1967 <laughs> or we're stuck in 1948 or we're stuck in 1975 or whatever year that the families might have immigrated or came here or were refu- made refugees and came here. They're stuck in that cultural paradigm of that time. And things have moved forward and our generation, the youth, the youth – when I was a youth, I'm not a youth anymore. I'm an old fart. But, you know, <laughs> when I was a youth – it was definitely frowned upon by most people. Like, oh, so cute. Tarek wants to play the guitar. Oh, so cute. Tarek wants to play the oud. Oh, that's so nice. Let him play. Let him play. He'll be a lawyer one day. It's like, no, I'm not going to be a damn lawyer. How how did I have the tools to be a lawyer? You know what I mean? Yeah. My dad went to law school. It didn't go become a lawyer. He went and got a restaurant. You know what I'm saying? Nobody in my family 
was like anything like that. The closest thing was like my uncle who's a pharmacist. You know what I'm saying? And that's – and well, my auntie's a teacher. And I mean we're, we, have, we have an educated family. But it's like the ideas uh, of, of, of fear and when your kids are involved, it just – it's exacerbated tenfold because – you want your kid to be successful, right? Arabs, especially, like, they obsess over it. How many times does your mom call you? You know what I'm saying? Every day. My mom calls me all the time. It's crazy. I mean, it's lovely. I love my mom. She's awesome. But it's like, you know, that's just the thing. It's fear. Oh, is he okay? Is he okay? Yes, I'm fine. I'm chilling. I'm, like, I'm hanging out. I'm reading a book. But, you know, I think it's because we come from a culture that's always waiting for the next bomb to happen, the next war, the next attack, the next whatever. No, that's very true. And so... You live in uncertainty. And I know what my mom tells me because, you know, I grew up in Beirut, but my mom is out here now and Mm -hmm. I'm out here, but we live in different parts of the state. And she'll call me and she's like, you know, who else do we have but each other? Like, if Mm -hmm. I don't check up on you, who's going to check up on you? If something happened to you, how would I know what happened to you? So I understand. I understand that fear. But in terms of like fear of trying to pursue a career that may not give you stability in life, Mm -hmm. I think that's just like across the board an immigrant thing. It, yeah, like, it is. In the United States, it's just an immigrant thing. It's like we didn't schlep all the way out here mm-hmm. for you to not make it. Yeah, totally. It's very true. But how is like being happy and expressing yourself and actually making a living off expressing yourself as little as it may be, at least, at least we're surviving. How is that not a positive? You know, and that's right. the thing. It's just that doesn't matter. You know, there's a mental block there where it's like your happiness and your passion and, you know, your creativity no matter how good you are at it. I mean, most artists are pretty good at what they do. You know, some people just aren't artists and they do art, which is unfortunate. But, you know, in the case of actual artists like myself and many of the people that I know, there should be no worries in anybody's mind that somebody's happy doing what they do. You know what I mean? I think that's 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 the important thing. We don't we are we've started to measure success within our happiness. They measure success in very tangible things, you know what I mean? Like, you know, uh, money or a house or you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, no, that's very real. And it's very true. And I think, you know, a lot of people do that. The ideas of success, of making it as what what school you went to, what mm-hmm. job you have, how much money yeah. you have, that you're married, that you have kids. Oh, yeah. You know, like it's never it's a never ending list oh, yeah. that you must check off to make that, you know, to make society. And, and yeah, the, yeah, the issue I mean, with us is that we live for others. Yeah. Like Arab, the Arab culture is just like we have a whole room <laughs> in the house. Yeah. That is dedicated to strangers. I know, and you can't visit. step foot in that room. You cannot go into oh, that man, room. That salon, furniture is covered. You are not allowed to go there. You know, like we have a whole facade of like, okay, this is meant for others to to see you and perceive you as doing yeah. well. Instead of how are the you actually the doing internally? <laughs> right. It's like how are you doing and like the hella oriental stuff. Yeah, exactly. It's like, but how are you doing internally? I think because of that, a lot of that feeds into the, our lack of focus on the mental illnesses that we have in our communities. For sure. And the fact that a lot of our people say like, though, you don't need a therapist. Like, I'm not sick. I don't need a therapist. It's like, yes, you actually do. <laughs> yeah, you you do. have It's like severe, you're psycho. You need you help. anger issues. Totally. Oh, anger is number one. And, you know? Yeah. And I think those anger, I, that's... Um, a social trauma that we've carried on with us that we're not really acknowledging as a community. Um, 
years like constant wars and attacks and trauma mm-hmm. that we become part of our our psyche mm-hmm. and then we bring it over here and then we and then the kids carry it on like we are all carrying some form of totally. trauma and i don't think that we acknowledge that enough in our um communities well that was that's i mean to tie it back to music that's kind of like why the album's name is now here nowhere because it's like there's all that back home trauma there's all that like remembering like waking up like hearing bombs when they're not there it's like you know being shell-shocked and feeling just anxiety whenever you hear like a large truck because it sounds like a tank sometimes like things like that like that's very real but i grew up here you know even though i spent a lot of time in philistine like i grew up here and even though i'm hella palestinian and very proud to be palestinian vocally palestinian culturally palestinian um I'm also very American, you know what I mean? Like a very Bay Area, you know? I speak in this California accent. I have this Northern Cali way of about me. It's like I make Northern California hip-hop or, like, music, you know what I mean? You don't know what you are. You're stuck between these two worlds, yet you're, like, solidly in both. So it's a trip, you know? And that's, that's like, I wanted to, like, touch on the more, like, the deeper side of that when I named the record that. Why do I feel I'm in inertia? I'm somewhere but not really sure. I place a movement, a vibration, but dead at the core. A place I dreaded before, knew I was heading towards. Now that I said it, I'm more or less regretting the chore. I think my head's in the war with legs getting hella sore. In a land of less immoral plants, test of the poor. As if the sweat in my pores is but the sets that I store. Festering is a testament to the stress I endure. Love it or leave it, is this really where I'll be at? Now here, nowhere, hell is to see that. Life is inert gas, suspended in the spiritual class. List material class, got us react. Your music definitely combines a lot of sounds and beats and... And, and just electronic and rap. And, and so why don't you tell us a little bit about how you describe your music and maybe if your music has changed, talk about the evolution of it. Got you. Um, yeah, no, it's changed a lot since I was young. I mean, when I was young, it was just basically angry battle rapping hip hop with uh, with political undertones, basically, because there was every rap I ever spit. There was definitely a free Palestine in there somewhere. There was definitely like some reference to like the Black Panthers, a reference to like, you know, PFLP a reference to, like, you know, leftist movements around the world, Che Guevara and all that. Um, and then I matured, and then I became more sort of introspective and more kind of nuanced with the political ideas. And then 9-11 happened, and then it just sort of pushed everybody to many extremes of emotion. And, you know, I was a 21-year-old kid when that happened, so I was like, it was a wild, that was a wild time for, you know, A, you're 21, you know, you're discovering your, you know, adulthood in a country that allows you to drink finally. And you're like walking around trying to figure out who you are, especially in a time where it's like the Twin Towers go down and everybody's pointing it at us. You know, the first people they blamed was the was the DFLP. Do you remember that? Yeah, the Palestinians, I remember that. <laughs> and I remember on, being like ridiculous. walking through the halls like, and what? being... No, but I remember walking through the halls. I was in high school, actually, yeah. and when that happened. And I woke up, and I was like, Linda, Linda, they bombed the World Trade Center. And I was like, what? I don't even know what that is. <laughs> I'm sorry. I didn't know what that was. Anyway, I get to school, and they're blaming the Palestinians. I remember yeah. the news on in every channel. Yeah. And um, I was just like, well, they're occupying the Palestinians. And I was just, I was actually expressing my anger towards the occupation. Anyway, I had nothing to do with that. But yeah. sorry to interrupt exactly. your story. No, for sure. Yeah. And, that, I mean, that was that was the most ridiculous thing about it in the beginning. So um, that that created a, a new paradigm in my in my sort of musical ways. Uh, I, that's when I started linking up with like uh, Iron Sheik, and then we became basically the first like Palestinian hip hop duo. I think pretty much anywhere. I think we've been doing p- expressively political Palestinian uh, hip hop. You know what I'm saying? We were the first. I don't think anybody came before us. Um, and 
Yeah, and if somebody wants to disagree with me, come forward because I'd love to hear from you because I don't know anybody that was rapping back in like 96 and 97 about Palestine. Nobody. And then fast forward to 2003, actually organizing tours and going around and talking about things, especially anti-war with Iraq. I mean, hands off of Syria, which happened. Hands off Iran, which hopefully doesn't happen. All those things, you know, it's it's now it's come to a head. And like when Bush started bombing Iraq, I called it in a song called uh, um, Neocon Love Song. I called it in that track. I was like, this is the end of the autumn. They're going to just go across the entire place and wreck this whole system of Arab nationalism. And it's ruined. It's gone. Arab nationalism is gone. Now we have these nut bars, ISIS, and these other nut bars on Nusra, and then we got the nut bars that are pro-Russian, the nut bars that are pro-American. It's really sad. So, I mean, now that's the context in which I'm making music, and I think I've gone less lyrical and more instrumental because of it. Right, because that's what I don't even know what to say anymore. I'm just like, all I want to do is just say F you, so-and-so, F you, so-and-so, and F you, so-and-so, and that's really all I want to say because it's just, it's that simple. These people are disgusting. They're not, they're not Arab, they're not Muslim. These people are just sick bastards. So I just go, I go instrumental nowadays, mostly, you know. Yeah, that's what I noticed in um, Now Here, Nowhere. Like a lot of the tracks are very instrumental heavy. And then when you do have rap, it's sort of, um, it reminds me of like... Like mocking? Mocking, yeah. Yeah, It's like a mocking rap. Sometimes I'm mocking things, definitely. I mean, that's kind of my attitude. I'm sort of a mocking kind of guy. Like, I'm just like, maybe I put too much sense of humor in my stuff. I don't really take myself that seriously. I I, I guess maybe maybe that's why. Yeah, I think maybe, you know, like you have a lot of humor in your work, you know, where we hear you yourself. Yeah. But then the instrumentals are definitely meld this like Arabi but also Western. And then what is that again? You know, like what is the difference between Western and Arabi anymore? As long as you don't call me fusion, I'm happy. (laughs) No, I hate the term fusion for food or music. I can't stand it either. I know whenever something's like Middle Eastern fusion, I'm like, yeah, that place sucks. I'm not going there. It's like, I don't want (laughs) Zatar on my... Watered down Middle Eastern. Like Zatar on your pasta. Yay. (laughs) Sounds so excitingly delicious, doesn't it? Mm. But yeah, so speaking of... Arabic things and like moving towards Arabic music and yeah. also trying to reconnect with Arabs because politically we're just not doing that with each other. Mm-hmm. You, I know you work with the narcissist, mm-hmm. Narcy. Um, are there any other Arab hip hop artists that you or Arab American, Arab Canadian, Arab whatever? Yeah, I mean, I come from that. We we formed uh, Narcissist and myself and Omar Fendom and uh, Ragtop uh, formed uh, Arab Summit back in the day. That was like sort of an Arab super group, I guess. Uh, Fred Rec was our DJ for a tour in, of the Middle East, which was dope. Uh, I've worked with just about everybody um, that was from that era. There's a lot of new cats that are out now that I don't I don't know them, and I would love to meet them. Um, I performed lately. I performed with Remy Kanazi a few times. Um, that's kind of it's kind of funny because like he did poetry and yeah, and then we did we did the hip hop thing. Uh, I work with my brother a lot. I don't know if you guys know uh, Rhythmatic is my brother. Um, He's, I think, the dopest Arab MC out there, tell you the truth. I have to give him props because he's an amazing, like, just freestyler. And just, he just lives and breathes the, the 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 word. You know what I mean? He's really eloquent. That's just a dope. I could never be as dope of an MC as he is. And I've never heard a doper MC, actually. When he's really raw, that cat's sick. So I work with my brother a lot. Uh, we share the stage a lot because he's always been, like, my hype man traditionally. Um, and, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, so right now, uh, like I said before, like I'm moving towards the more instrumental side. So I really want to do a lot more production stuff with people rather than being, you know, like sharing sharing a mic. I'd rather like I'd rather just keep it on the board, 
keep it on the instruments and then they shine on my beats. You know and that's I mean? your work with Naima, right? You, yeah, yeah, you play, exactly. You perform with her a lot. She mentioned that you did um, yeah. the Oud intro exactly. uh, to one of her songs. and uh, Yeah, no, I, I produced the whole track and then um, uh, wrote Oud pieces for it. I play the guitar in her band. I play the Oud guitar, uh, electric guitar, and percussion in her band. Um, and that's fun. That's a fun project. That's because it's not hip hop, and it's like, and it's not really something that I'm known for. So I just get to like be this anonymous guitar player on a, on a stage and not have to worry about people being like, "What is he going to say this time?" or "Is he going to drop too many f bombs?" or "Are the old ladies going to be like, yeah?" And you know, they say like, yeah. you know, you go to these Arab shows and there's always like hella old ladies. You're like, <laughs> "What are they doing here?" <laughs> like, it's so weird. Um, so none of that. It's it's really nice. It's liberating just to not have to speak. You know what I mean? And just be just just in the moment with my guitar or my oud. You know? Yeah. I wanted to ask you briefly about the oud. Mm-hmm. So I know that the Rahbani brothers had this like position against the oud. They yeah. use it sometimes, but they thought it was like a bougie instrument. Yeah. And that the qanun was more their thing because it was more of well, the, the buzuk. Of the the buzuk, buzuk was more their the thing. Buzuk, the yeah, buzuk. Yeah. You're right. The buzuk. And but you've chosen to play the oud. If I could have got my hands on a bulzuk, I'd have one too, and I'd be playing it just as often as the oud. Tell you the truth, uh, me and the oud have a. She's a. She's she's my long term mistress that hates me and treats me like khara and spits on me and forces me to scrub the floors every night. I swear, it's like a terrible instrument to play. Like it's evil. It hates humankind. Why? It's so difficult wow. is the thing. It's like it encompasses it's the strings. There's a lot of strings. No, it just encompasses no. you. Like because you get so obsessed and you get so like. Mm-hmm. You just you start like thinking of different like ways to approach Mukam and like how to approach the modes that mm-hmm. you're playing and how to approach like your sound and and if you hear on the album like I don't try to sound like anybody I try to like keep all my influences of the oud out completely out because I just I want to sound completely original uh, in terms of my compositions and in terms of the way that I play stylistically and the way that my my technique shows through so. And that's another thing. If you really care about your music, if you really care about your craft, you should hone it and you should do a really good job at it and you should do you should obsess over it. You should be not sleeping at night, basically. And that's basically what Darwood did to me for a very long time. And that's why I've kind of gone towards a guitar lately, just because Darwood has been just beating me up, man. It's and this weather, this heat is killing it. So like I have to tune every before I tune like maybe once a week and I change the strings every like three weeks. And now I'm changing the strings like once a week and having to tune every single hour. So uh, the buzuk has metal strings, so you don't have to worry about any of that stuff. If it's a if it's a if it's a beautifully built buzuk, it's going to have aged wood, so it's not going to be so um, it won't contract and retract as as often. Um, and the strings are you know they're metal, so you don't have to worry about it. And it'd be a lot more fun if I played the buzuk, tell you the truth, because I love the sound of it. You're talking about how you were one of the first Arab rappers to like rap about political issues, radical issues. Um, are you talking about just in America or? I think not. I think just in America because I think there was some French cats that were doing that a long time ago. There was some cats in Paris that were doing it way back when. Um, I don't know about Palestine. I know them started a while back, but they were like they were being like kind of uh, they were sort of just like rap rap. They weren't like they weren't doing political rap. It wasn't until much later. That they started doing it was, it was funny because last time I saw Tam, I was making fun of him because that one of his first CDs from way back in the day. He said he didn't even have it, and I still got it. And he's like talking about like I don't I want I don't want to be a gangster. I want to be a rapper. And he's like rapping in English. And I was like, dude, this is so tight. It's like <laughs> Young Tamer. And I showed it to him. He's like, dude, I don't even have that. Like, where'd you get that from? 
So I don't know, like, I yeah, so don't, I'm not trying to sound like, yeah, I was the first, you know, every, F everybody else, like, you know what I mean? It's not, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is I don't think there was anybody else in the United States doing it the way that we were doing it in terms of, like, how how we approach, like, hip-hop. We were approaching it from an Arab political perspective. So, I mean, is there a lot of collaboration between you and groups like them and other Palestinian hip-hop groups and rappers? Uh, yeah, there was at one time. There was a ton of it. Like, we were all, like, performing together all the time. We shared stages many times, especially, like, with, the you know, Omar Fendam and Narsi for a long time and, and Ragtop, obviously. Um, so there was a lot of collaboration. Also with Soher Hamad, we did uh, this, we did this um, a compilation called Free the P uh, to raise money for Slingshot Hip Hop. And uh, that was there was MCs from all over the country on that. So we, we, we strategically picked MCs from all over the country and featured them on that album so that we could get fundraising from each one of those states if they were pushing that CD themselves. And uh, it actually got picked up by a major label. And it got distribution. So we used to go around to like all, you know, we'd go to like all these Barnes and Nobles or like, you know, Virgin Megastores and be like, hey, can you order this CD? And they would order it all over the place. It was kind of fun. Um, so, yeah, there was a lot of collaboration back when. Nowadays, uh, like I said, like the only time I really collaborate is when there's I, I like doing things now that are like project specific. I don't just like hopping on somebody's track. I don't like just popping somebody a beat and have them just rap on it. I don't like doing that anymore. I want something to be. I want it to be a project. I want to have like I want to put together an EP, you know what I mean, or put together an LP, or put together, you know, maybe a, a music video project or something like that. That's more like what I would rather do, other than just like you know, let's just do a track. Yeah, much I, more project focused. I was wondering, do you? A lot of people you mentioned, everyone you've mentioned actually uh -huh. so far have been Arab. Mm -hmm. Would you work with anybody who wasn't an Arab artist? Yeah, I produced. Uh, there's a crew from Detroit called Switch Dance. And uh, I produced I produced uh, their first record, like ninety eight percent of it. Um, and I was kind of like a honorary member of that crew. And that's Dante Lasalle Dominique from Detroit and uh, Dirk Verbals. Neither of them are Arab. They're dope MCs though. Check them out. Switch Dance. Uh, they're not. They've disbanded. But check out Dante Lasalle. His stuff is sick. It's like working class Detroit hip hop. Um, uh, I do a lot. I work with a lot of DJs here in Oakland, uh, like some of the local twelve hundred cats, like Tim Diesel. Yeah, I know you're like definitely visible and very engaged in the in the jazz scene in Oakland. Yeah, and that as well. So there's no Arabs in the jazz scene in Oakland. <laughs> Actually, it's mostly white people, which is interesting because it's jazz. But um, yeah, I play the oud in a band called the Three Mohammeds, and. The backstory on that, uh, Nasser Zakaria uh, made this beautiful film called Tale of the Three Muhammads. And he basically followed these three dudes named Muhammad during the time before and spookily after 9-11. He started the film before 9-11, September 11, uh, 2001, and he ended the film post-9-11. It was just crazy. So it went from basically being this feature film to becoming like half feature, half documentary. It's a really trippy film. Um and he tapped uh, myself to score the film. And I hired uh, two really awesome musicians, Josh Allen on tenor saxophone and Timothy Orr on percussion. Josh is like ubiquitous here in Berkeley. You'll see him playing at the Rockridge Station all the time, the really big dude with the beard. You ever seen that guy? Yeah. That's Josh. Yeah, he's, wow. my, he's my old roommate and an amazing tenor sax player. Very visionary dude. And then uh, Timothy Orr, who's the media director of the Monterey Jazz Festival and also a fantastic drummer. Uh, I put I, I hired them and I said let's let's do this because we got a lot of free jazz like that we can't get uh, licensed for this film so why don't we just come to the, why don't we get together and just just bust out some beautiful improvised new music and uh, we did we recorded at Scott Looney Studios in uh, West Oakland in two thousand five two thousand six 
was it something like that and then um yeah and then that formed the band the three mohammeds we just named ourselves the three mohammeds we played all over oakland our most recent show was at uh duende just a couple months ago college like you and Omar Fandam and Narsi and mm-hmm. just Suhair Hamad like you were really really visible you, yeah. to me and I don't know if it's because I was super engaged um, as an activist uh-huh. um, or I feel like there's a change now in like the culture of activism and music would yeah, you say so totally it's um it's a, a poetry made a big comeback so I think the the people that are getting the most uh the most play these days are the poets you know which is great because poetry is beautiful. You know what I mean? I tend to not really enjoy spoken word. I mean, I used to be a spoken word artist or, or called myself one. We used to, I used to be in this crew called Calligraphy of Thought with a whole bunch of old school cats. I'm, I, you probably know who they are. But um, yeah, I think and, – and then hip-hop now is – the new stuff is is terrible in my opinion. I can't, I can't take that like – that sound, man. I can't do that little Wayne sound. I can't do that Kanye sound. Like just that new Yeezy kind of thing. Trap. It's just uh, well, yeah, trap too. I'm not really into trap. So that's that's the thing. Like I come from that more boom bap, like '90s sort of hip hop school, and I'll I'll admit it. I you know I'm old, you know, and I just don't understand what the new kids are doing. There's some cats that I really enjoy their sound. Like I think Vince Staples got a ill sound. I think he's dope. I think Danny Brown's got some dope stuff. I think there's certain cats that just that stick out because they're still lyricists. But all this like I'm like, what did you just say? Like, I just saw this dude like making fun of like this guy. He's like, he's like Applebee's, Applebee's, Applebee's. I'm like, exactly. That's what they're rapping about. Got my new Bugatti, Bugatti. It's like, what? You don't have a Bugatti. He's a broke ass dude recording okay, in your no, closet. But, like, but I'm saying, like, in with terms the Arab, of, you yeah, about with the Arab the kids, yeah, yeah. Engage in politics. That's what I'm saying. Those, yeah. So all that too? that crap has like has seeped into like, these kids, and I've noticed that they've become more religious. So it, it's I've noticed that there's kind of a shift. Like a lot of the kids that are rapping, they're rapping about Islam. They're not rapping about Palestine. They're not rapping about Syria. They're not rapping about Iraq. They're not rapping about Yemen. They're rapping about Islam, which is great, but I'm a secular dude, and I don't want to hear about religion. I don't care if it's Christianity, Judaism, Islam, or Buddhism. I don't really care. That's fine. You have your religion. I have, you know, my science. Leave it to me. You know what I mean? So I can say that I don't really I don't really listen to that stuff just because it's not compelling to me. It's not interesting because I don't, I don't need to hear somebody's, like, you know, sermon. I just – I don't go to church for that reason. You know what I mean? I don't go to any religious institution for that reason. So I've noticed that. That's one thing. Which is disappointing to me because I think there would be – this is like a time of a lot of information and I think there's so much more information available via the internet and I think kids would be much more eloquent and much more uh, informed because a lot of the whack political rappers back in my day, they were just saying very simple stuff. Just like, free Palestine, free Palestine, yo, we're free in Palestine because that's what we do. And it's like, yeah, great. That's boring, dude. Have, a, have like some more content to your stuff. Nowadays, there's so much content out there that you can inform yourself and create informed rhymes. And I'm afraid that you're not seeing too much of that. And if I'm wrong, please hit me up, email me and tell me this dude's dope or this young cat's dope or this because I don't know sometimes, you know. But the stuff that I have heard, I've noticed that it's had this religious kind of tint to it, which is turns me off. And that is like a reflection of the times. I think that like even in the Middle East, things have gotten more religious. Mm -hmm. Um, And and so the politics here and I guess what kids are, I mean, I guess you could say I'm kind of old now because I was part of your generation Mm -hmm. of a secular movement uh, for Palestine. 
identifying, you know, nationalistic. Mm-hmm. Um, and now it's just become that, I guess, probably MSA groups or the Muslim Student Alliances are probably a lot stronger on campuses than the Students for Justice in Palestine. Well, that's the thing. There's still, but that's the thing about Palestine. It's still a nationalist movement. And that's why that's why they hate us. <laughs> that's why ISIS doesn't talk about us. That's why ISIS doesn't care about, like, attacking Israel. It doesn't matter. We're a nationalist movement. That's why the Saudis hate us, because we're not a pan-Islamic movement. We're not a Muslim movement at all. We are a pan-national movement of people that are from the diaspora, people that are in the refugee camps. We're talking about freeing Palestine. We're not talking about freeing Al-Aqsa only. You know what I'm saying? We're not talking about just freeing the Muslims of Palestine. We're talking about freeing every single one of our people. You know what I mean? And that's what's so scary to sort of political Islamic uh, factors like Daesh or like the Saudi royal family or even... To a lesser extent, Iran. You know what I mean? It's scary. So, but you're saying that, like, what kids are rapping about now who are concerned are mostly rapping about, like, Islamophobia. In my, I've seen that. In my recent experience, I've seen that. You know what I mean? Okay, one last question. So, in my view, the situation in the Middle East has deteriorated. In Mm -hmm. Palestine, in Syria, definitely Mm -hmm. all over. And as an artist, I mean, do you feel like you've become more cynical over time? Or how has that changed? Um, I've always been cynical. I've never been a hopeful kind of dude. <laughs> Just because if you see the brutality of the occupation firsthand, there's not much hope in there. You know what I mean? When you see like six-year-old kids getting snipered in the head, like you're just like, dude, this is not going anywhere. This is just leading to a really bad place. Um, but given that, the reason why we do do what we do, the reason why we speak out, the reason why you have this show and the reason why I'm on this show and the reason why there's a CD sitting in front of you is because that we have because we have some glimmer of of hope because we think that we with our voices collectively we can make a change we think that bds can work we think that we can push uh, an agenda of justice and that's that's essentially what we have to do so no matter how cynical i i can be because i'm pretty damn cynical you know what i mean i understand how things work the society that we live in is based on laws of injustice it's based on injustice yes. fundamentally so yes and the, but that's why we do this you know what i mean yeah we deserve better the okay. whole world deserves better yeah Okay, well, where can people find your album, Now, Here, Nowhere, if they want to buy it? Uh, They can go to iTunes, and they can purchase it on iTunes. Just type in Eccentric, E-X-C-E-N-T-R-I-K, and uh, Now, Here, Nowhere, and that'll be on iTunes. Uh, However, that money goes to my record label. So if you only love iTunes, just go and buy it there. I don't really care because I'm basically giving out the CD for free. Otherwise, you can email me. I'm sure you guys will put it on the podcast. Well, you should share it, yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's uh, eccentric the way I spell it, E-X-C-E-N-T-R-I-K-A-Z at gmail.com. Uh, hit me up with any anger or things you want to tell me or happy things or whatever. I don't care. I'm open-minded. Uh, yeah, and or you can find it at uh, the Palestine Online Store. I think it's on Amazon, too. We'll, we'll post it. Twitter. Oh. Do you have a Twitter? Twitter, yeah, at Eccentric Music. And then... Uh, Facebook at eccentric as like eccentric az, um, yeah. I think that's it, right? What other social media stuff do am I Instagram? supposed to have? Instagram, I don't know. Insta- oh, Instagram, yeah. I think I'm Tariq Al Majnoon. I think, but it's like I think it's eccentric as well. It's just eccentric music. I think on mm. Instagram. Okay. All I do is post like pictures of hiking. Anyway, it's really boring. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for coming in. For sure. Thank you, guys. Thank you for listening to Arabiyat. Our theme song, as always, is by Muqatta. The track is called Ahyat. You can email us at arabiyat.podcast at gmail.com. That's A-R-A-B-I-Y-A-A-T dot podcast at gmail.com. And find us on Twitter at Arabiyat and on Facebook at facebook.com slash podcast. <laughs>